continuing our Mark series. I know we took a break for two weeks. Uh, we're, we're back and we're finishing it up uh, this and next week. So Mark, uh, this is the reading of God's word. Let's give our full attention, our reverence. This is his word for us this morning from Mark 14, verses 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. At this time, would you give your full attention to the preaching of God's holy word? Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. And it's so good to hear you all sing. There's a brother or sister sitting right behind me over here. I don't think I can see them, but I was just listening to them saying I was filled with so much grace and love for the Lord. Um, And today, as you can see behind me, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I think for a lot of you, this is the first time in a very long time that you have come to the Lord's table. That also makes this the perfect day to refresh our understanding of the meaning and value of the Lord's Supper before we come to the table. And there's no better place to begin than the passage we just read where Jesus institutes the very first Lord's Supper. Join me in a quick word of prayer before we go into the Word of God. Father God, I ask that you would use me in the preaching of this Word to draw so much attention to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, we need to see more of him every day as clearly as possible. Holy Spirit, open up our eyes, unveil our eyes to see the bread and the cup, to see his body broken for us, to see the gospel today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we isolate the passage that was just read, it could appear that all Jesus was doing with his disciples was celebrating the Lord's Supper, but that's not actually the case. The context of that passage is that Jesus is celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples. And then he institutes the Lord's Supper during that meal. And it's so important in order for us to understand the Lord's Supper is what does the Passover have to do with the Lord's Supper? And that's actually the first question we're going to answer this morning. What does the Passover have to do with the Lord's Supper? The Passover meal, it was chock full of meaning, meaning the roasted lamb, the bitter herbs, every food item pointed to a very important moment in Israelite history. It memorialized the moment when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. During the 10th and final plague, the Lord passed through the nation of Egypt, and he struck down the firstborn of every household with the exception of the households that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And it's in the middle of this Passover meal that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And that could actually seem a little bit odd. Imagine this. During your birthday party, 
after everyone just sang happy birthday and you're about to blow out the candles, one of your friends blurts out, I'm having a baby, and then commences to blow out your birthday candles. Talk about bad timing. Talk about stealing someone's thunder. I think that would be okay if you were just out casually grabbing a meal with your friends and and they make that announcement. But this is an occasion that already has a special meaning. The cake says, happy birthday. Everyone knows why they are there. That person, you would say, they're, they're quite inconsiderate and they're very selfish. Jesus, during the Passover meal, which already has so much significance, takes bread in the cup and says, this is my body and this is my blood. Is Jesus being inconsiderate? Is this really bad timing? Is he being selfish? And I want to say this. This is not bad timing whatsoever. This is actually the best timing. Is Jesus being selfish? No, he is not being selfish. However, he is being totally self-centered, and there's a difference, and it's important we understand that difference. Jesus is being very self-centered. In order to understand that, we need to ask, what is the meaning of the Passover? What's the point of it? Passover celebrated salvation. Salvation from what? Let's not make the mistake in thinking that Passover was just about Israel being saved from the Egyptians. No, Passover was about Israel being saved from God. When we think about the Exodus story, we think the greatest threat to Israel was Egypt. But as believers, we know, no, actually the greatest threat to Israel was God. Had the Israelites not put the blood on their doorposts, they would have met the same fate as the Egyptians. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 that there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no distinction between Israel and Egypt. Both nations have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They were all deserving of death. So then why was there a different outcome for the Israelites than the Egyptians? It was because of the blood of the lamb. By grace, God provided a way for them to be saved. And by faith, the Israelites obeyed and they put the lamb's blood on the doorposts. And so God passed over some of the households and not others not because of the merit or the ethnicity of those inside that home. Everyone inside of every home in all of Egypt at that time was a sinner. The Lord passed over some of those households solely because of the blood of the Lamb. The gospel teaches us that there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what company you work for. It doesn't matter what, how big your house is. It doesn't matter which zip code you are in. Everyone in every company, in every zip code, everywhere is deserving of the just wrath of God because we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. But the gospel also declares really good news that by God's grace, he has made a way for sinners to be saved. God has provided a way for us to be saved. He provided a lamb and he provided blood so that the wrath of God would pass over 
us. Where did this blood come from? Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. On the cross, the wrath of God did not pass over Jesus. Rather, it was poured out on Jesus because Jesus bore all of our sins on the cross. And instead, when we place our faith in Jesus, God's love will be poured out on us in exchange. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus is being self-centered because Passover was always about him. We all just heard, and I, I hope better understand the meaning of Passover and its connection to the Lord's Supper, but why not leave it at that? Why do we actually eat of the bread and drink of the cup? Why can't I just tell you the meaning? You listen, and then you go home. You're encouraged. It's because Jesus didn't say, look at this bread and look at this cup. No, Jesus said, eat this bread and drink of this cup. And that's because the Lord's Supper, it's more than just a sign that points us to the sacrifice of Christ. It's also what we call a seal that confirms our faith. Think about a wax seal. If it's lightly pressed into the wax, it'll be difficult and it's hard to tell what the engraving is. It's not very clear. And I would say that there are many times in our lives, although we hear the preaching of God's word, we, we do our devos, we read the Bible, we listen to a lot of praise songs, there are times it still feels like God's truths are lightly pressed into the wax or upon our hearts, and it's still not very clear. It's hard to tell. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament. It is also a seal. And its, pur its purpose is to more firmly press the truths of the gospel and God's covenant promises upon our hearts, souls, and minds so that it is unmistakable. Because there are so many circumstances in our lives where it is so very mistakable, where we're confused and we question God and we doubt and we're unsure. And so the Lord's Supper makes that crystal clear. And this leads us to our next point. We're going to answer this question. Why do we eat and drink? Because the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. And we're going to explain what a covenant is and why it takes the form of a meal. What is a covenant? It's a kind of relationship. We have diff many different words for different kinds of relationships. There are friends, acquaintances, siblings, co-workers, and you're married or you're dating. And the word covenant, that describes the kind of relationship God has with his people. And it's not just like any other relationship, just like how marriage is not like any other relationship. Marriage is not like acquaintances. And what's the difference between a covenant relationship? Just like marriage, there are different degrees and a depth of commitment and also consequences. The kind of commitment that you expect from acquaintances is very different than a married couple. And the kind of consequences from a broken marriage is also very different from a fallout between coworkers. 
And that's because there is no other relationship that we know of where you say things like, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Marriage is a kind of covenant relationship. You don't have that kind of relationship with your mechanic. The way God relates to his people is unique. Don't just think it's just like any other relationship. It's a covenant relationship. There is nothing else like it. God's relationship with Adam, the very first human, was a covenant relationship. And there were conditions and consequences to that relationship. The conditions were this. Adam and Eve, they can eat of any tree in the garden except that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as they don't eat of that tree, they will experience eternal life in a perfect relationship with with God. This was called a covenant of works because it depended on Adam and Eve's obedience, a.k.a. their their works. We know what happened. Adam and Eve ate of the tree they weren't supposed to eat of, and the fallout of that relationship was called the fall. Their sin broke the covenant, and whenever you break a covenant, a relationship is broken. So when we think about the rules, the rules or the laws in the Bible, Whenever we break those rules or we don't live up to them, we're not just breaking rules, we are breaking a relationship. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. However, shortly after, God made a new covenant with humanity. This is called the covenant of grace. It is a gracious covenant, meaning this. It no longer depended on humanity's work. But God would do all the work in order to restore this broken relationship due to Adam's sin. In this covenant of grace, it was depicted in different ways throughout the Bible. God liked to do this. He gave different examples of this same covenant so people could understand it. In one instance, God had Abraham take animals and cut them in half and put them on the ground. And although this is very foreign to us, That's how people back then signed off on agreements or covenants or contracts. And it was a bloody, costly ceremony. And what they're saying is, if I do not keep the terms of this covenant, then I will end up like these animals on the ground. I will pay the price. And both parties would pass over these animals as a way of publicly signing off. However, in the story of Abraham, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and it was God who was represented by a flaming torch. Only he passed over these animal parts. And that's the covenant of grace. That's what it looks like. Just like Abraham, we don't do anything. Just like Abraham was in deep sleep, there is nothing we contribute to our relationship with God. There's nothing we contribute to our salvation to get God to love us. All we actually do is break the covenant. Every single one of us, we have broken the covenant. But the covenant of grace says this, that God, who alone passed over the animal pieces, he alone will take the curse upon himself, and he will be torn apart like these animals. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly what happened. Jesus was torn apart on the cross and he took the curse 
upon himself. The Lord's Supper is another sign of this covenant of grace. Once a month, we don't tear animals and and just spread them out over the stage. Instead, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's a sign of remembrance that Jesus was torn apart for us, that God has done everything in order for us to be saved. Why are these signs so important? Going back to that original question, why can't I just tell you this? Maybe you're already moved and the Spirit is working. You're like, amen, praise God. But why are these signs so important? Why do we need to see these things? Let's go back to Abraham. God gave Abraham a sign of his promise to him, and that sign at that time was circumcision. It was a visible, physical sign. What's the point of that? What's the reason? The New Testament professor, Guy Waters, he says this. When the circumstances visible to Abraham tempted him to unbelief, there was an equally visible sign from God to strengthen his faith and encourage him in trusting obedience. When you read that text or that email, your heart sinks. You watch the news and you become anxious. You see the MRI and you weep. You attend a friend's funeral and you ask why. Friends, there are so many circumstances visible to us that tempt us to unbelief. God in his grace knowing this and because he cares about you and loves you, gives you an equally visible sign to encourage and strengthen your faith. And it's more than just visible. It's edible. Why is it edible? That's because God not only gave covenant signs because he loves them and cares cares for them to strengthen their faith, but he also gave them covenant meals. He's just giving them all of these things because he knows how difficult life is in a sinful and fallen and broken world. He's just giving you all these helps. And one of them was also meals, Passover meal, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Booths, so on and so forth. And these meals were a sign of God's covenant blessing and his promises to them. This was God's way of saying, I'm committed to you. I want you to know this and taste this and see this. Now on the flip side, if food and feasting were the ways that God expressed his covenant blessing, then famine and hunger were how he expressed the covenant curses. Adam no longer enjoyed the abundance of fruit and food in the garden. He hungered, and he now had to eat by the sweat of his brow. The Israelites often faced famine and hunger as a sign of the covenant curse. And the prophets, they would tell them that if you repent, God will forgive you and he will restore you. And what did that restoration look like in the Old Testament? They talked a lot about food. It looked like food. Joel chapter 2. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. 
You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. So back to the Lord's Supper. What does all of this have to do with the Lord's Supper? What does this have to do with us? Because in life, there are a lot of times, even though we are believers, there are times when it feels like we're experiencing covenant curses. There's loss of health, loss of life, loss of loved ones, loss of jobs. Does this mean we are under the curse of God? Satan would want you to believe that. And when your faith is fragile, it is so easy to believe that. And this is why the Lord's Supper is so important. When you are experiencing great loss in life, or maybe you have sinned greatly in life, And it feels like you are under the covenant curse of God. Remember this, that the sign of a covenant curse is famine and hunger. And so the question you need to ask yourself when you think or you doubt or you question God's love and you think you are under his covenant curse is this. Did he remove the food and the feasts? Is there famine? Brothers and sisters, look behind me. There's your answer. Did he remove the food? Even though you sinned greatly, did he remove the food and the feasts? Even though life circumstances are so difficult, are you under a covenant curse? Friends, there's food. There's a meal. The feast is still prepared for you. This is the covenant of grace. There's no famine. There's no hunger. Like Thomas, when we're having a hard time believing, it's not enough to be told. He was told by the other disciples, Jesus is risen. We saw him. It wasn't enough for him. He wanted to see and touch. And we too want to see and touch. This is why we eat and drink of the bread. As real as the bread is to your senses, your touch and your sight and your taste, that is how real Jesus is. It's as if Thomas is touching Jesus and his side and his hands, and he knows this is real, and that's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is real. The cross is real. The resurrection is real. The forgiveness of your sins is real. The return of Christ is real. The grace of God, the sovereignty of God, that is real. And it's not just the eating that is helpful to our faith. It's also the administration. What do I mean by that? Any of you can go online and buy a box of wafers off of Amazon and pick up some juice and you can go home. You can eat that. But I would say that is not the Lord's Supper. What are you missing? You're missing a lot of things. But something you're missing is the administration of the Lord's Supper. How it's administered to you matters. And that is also a means of strengthening your faith. After giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And in the same way, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples. You do not serve yourself. You do not administer the Lord's Supper to yourself. You are ministered to the same way that Jesus ministers to us. 
This is a sign of the covenant of grace. It's not your doing. We only receive God's grace. And we need to be reminded of that. That no matter how bad your week was, how bad your year was, you can come forward and you can be served and you can receive. There is no holding back. You don't have to reach. I think a lot of times we feel like we got to reach for God's love because it's like out of our reach. We got to reach for God's forgiveness. We got to try harder because of how much I've sinned or how difficult life is. No, you don't have to reach for it. It's handed to you. It's given to you. Just as Jesus, our good shepherd, administered and served the sacraments to his disciples, the pastor and the elders up here later on, they too, as your shepherds, in the same way Jesus has ministered to his disciples, are ministering to you. And they may even say, as you receive it, the body and blood of Christ for you. There's a kind of grace and strength that we receive from preaching and singing praise songs, reading the word and prayer. And there's another kind of grace that we receive, a different kind, another helpful kind of grace in the Lord's Supper. The Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson, he puts it well when he says this. We do not get a different or better Christ in the sacrament than we do in the word, but we may get the same Christ better with a firmer grasp of his grace through seeing, touching, feeling, and tasting as well as hearing. I hope by now you have a better understanding of the Lord's Supper. I hope by now you're like on the edge of your seat and you're ready to come forward to the Lord's table. But before we do so, we want to close with some practical pointers. How do we make the most of the Lord's Supper? And the first is this. Look forward to this meal. Don't miss it. The Bible doesn't say how frequently a church has to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but Jesus says, as long as you eat of this bread and drink this cup. So he's leaving it up to us. But knowing how important this is, at Christ Central, we celebrate this once a month, the last Sunday of every month, with the exception of today because I'm preaching on it. But don't miss this meal. And we need this meal, especially when we don't feel like eating. When we're depressed or sick, something we don't do well is eat. We don't have an appetite. But you have to eat. When we're struggling in our faith, that's especially when we need to come to the Lord's table and eat. Don't miss this meal. Put it, on, put it in your calendars. The last Sunday of every month, communion. Don't miss this Sunday. I need to go to church and eat. Secondly, look inside. The Apostle Paul says that we are to examine ourselves and discern the body, meaning before you come to the Lord's table, you need to ask yourself, do I understand the gospel? Do I understand God's grace? That it's by faith in Jesus, by God's grace, that I am saved, that Jesus has done everything, and I don't contribute anything at all. Do you have an awareness of your sin? There is no room for pride coming before the Lord's table. doesn't mean you have to be perfect, 
but it means you are repentant and humble. And you come to the table with humility and gratitude. I want to say that this does mean the Lord's Supper is only for believers. If you're not a believer and you're here with us today, I want to say that I'm so glad that you're here. There's nowhere else we would rather have you be. And I hope that you continue to come out. However, today, I ask that you respectfully refrain from coming to the Lord's table because it is for believers. But we would love and we pray that one day we would celebrate it with you, that you would belong to the family of God. And we would love to talk to you more about the gospel and about Jesus if you would like. Next, we want to look around. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. Look around at those who come to the Lord's table. Rejoice in their salvation. Pray that they would be nourished. And something else we got to ask is, is there anyone I need to be reconciled with? Because they come to the Lord's table and receive and understand the reconciliation between you and God because of what Christ has done to receive that, but to withhold that from somebody else in our own church, there's something wrong with that. And so we want to ask, is there anyone I need to reconcile with as we look around? Fourth, look to the past and look to the future. Look back at the cross and look forward to the second coming of Christ. As much as we look forward to eating with Jesus and meeting Jesus, did you know he's looking forward to the same thing just as much? maybe even more. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 29, I tell you, I will not again drink of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is waiting for us. What a thought. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's looking forward to it. And lastly, let your enemies look. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Usually you would feast after defeating your enemies, but the Lord prepares a table in the presence of David's enemies. And I was thinking, how could you possibly enjoy that meal? Like, sit down, put down your arms, and eat a meal in the presence of your enemy. I would be so stressed out, fearful, and anxious. But here, the Lord prepares a table for David in the presence of his enemies. How can he calmly and peacefully eat that meal? Although his enemies are present, the reason is because his king is present. The Lord is present. We do not believe the bread and the cup are actually literally the physical body and blood of Jesus, but we believe Jesus, our Lord and your King, is spiritually present in this sacrament, and the Holy Spirit ministers to, the, to us in faith and applies Jesus to us. You are about to dine in the presence of your King, with your King. When we dine in the presence of our king, our enemies cannot do anything. They can't say anything. They're silenced. They are powerless. This is like the ultimate insult to all of our enemies. 
Friends, Jesus has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. What enemies? The Bible talks about death as an enemy. We have many enemies. Death, sin, Satan, cancer, chronic pain, fears, shame, guilt. Let them watch. Let them all look on. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to be fearful. You're in the presence of your king. In Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Psalm 91.5 says, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Let me close with this story. Back on the East Coast, when I was doing ministry out there, I had a church member who was in his 50s, and he was battling lupus and blood, and blood clots. And because of that, he was in and out of the hospital all the time. I would visit him in the hospital when I could, and when I couldn't, we would be texting. And during those interactions, I saw that he was truly a man of faith. He sent me one text that said this. They are admitting me to the ICU to start me on TPA, powerful blood thinners. We'll keep you informed. These are the trials and challenges through which my Lord will carry me. I read that. I was like, wow, what a man of faith. But there were other times when he would text me and say things like this. Pastor Daniel, they did find a small growth, a clot. They will discuss with team and make a decision. I do not know what to think. I'm sad and now feeling empty. I sit here asking why. It was the combination of bad news, staying in the hospital for extended periods of time, treatment after treatment that didn't seem like it was doing anything, that all started to wear down on his faith. He told me, because he had missed so many church services, how much he missed going to church and worshiping with his brothers and sisters and especially taking the Lord's Supper. He sent this text three years ago, this very same week in June, so that was really that was coincidental. He, he wrote this. They moved me back upstairs to prepare me for surgery on June 11th. They have to open me up to remove a clot. They tried three rounds of TPA, but it did not work. Surgery is a last resort. I did not expect this. Before surgery, I would like to receive communion if you can arrange that. And this is not because he had some superstitious view of the Lord's Supper. He knew exactly what it was for. And his faith at this point, just like his body, was so frail. And he couldn't come out to church. And he, he needed this grace and this strength. So he asked if we could arrange that. I went with one of the other elders. And it was one of the most memorable Lord's Supper I have ever administered. There in the ICU, we prepared a table in the presence of his enemies. All the machines, the charts, the tubes, the medications, they were all declaring bad things. But in the Lord's Supper, Jesus was declaring something else. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. The Lord's Supper confirmed for him that death was defeated along with sin. And Jesus did that for him.
and that Jesus would return one day and make his body brand new. And Jesus will dine with him and he with his Lord. The Lord's Supper, it's sealed, and I saw it. Sealed the gospel promises of God to his faith and his weary heart. I pray, brothers and sisters, that the Lord would do the same thing for you today as you come to the Lord's table. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for making your promises known through your scriptures and preaching of your word. We now ask for further, deeper, greater confirmation, a further sealing of these promises as we partake of the Lord's Supper now. We come shaking, anxious, fearful, doubting because of our visible circumstances. And so would you visibly show us equally, more powerfully in the Lord's Supper that Jesus is truer and stronger and better and more powerful than our circumstances. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.